Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of the Replatform podcast. It's just myself, James, flying solo today. And the reason for that is this topic is obviously uh, far too fundamentally dull for Paul. He'd rather stab his eyes with blunt spoons than talk about project management essentials, which is what I'm going to do. So, yeah, the topic is project management essentials for e-commerce teams. So I'm not coming at this from a technical project management point of view. It's looking at um, the key skills that every e-commerce team should bring into a project to help them manage it sensibly, to keep their project on track and well-disciplined and organised. And it's, it's capabilities that typically where if they're not thought about, it can lead to all sorts of inefficiencies and problems, whether that's something that fundamentally impacts the project delivery or it just creates friction and heartache internally and, and misalignment of stakeholders. So I've got 10 top areas to focus on. And we go through each of them and just give a few um, highlights and examples. So the first one is project owner and lead. And the two work together. Sometimes they are the same, depending on the size of business. But project owner is somebody who has budgetary responsibility and who can sign off decisions. Absolutely critical to have that person nailed down who understands their role. They're involved in any steering processes you've got. But they are the point where you go to to get something ratified if you need a decision um, uh, confirmed to a development partner. good example would be... Um, confirmation of payment gateway provider if you have to select a new payment gateway for a project. The project lead is the person who's responsible internally for getting the project delivered. So they are the counterpart to the um, SI agency de uh, development partners project manager. They should be the conduit for all stakeholders into the project team. They should coordinate people internally, get everyone working towards the same deadlines, make sure people are clear on their actions. Um, you know, steer and guide people through the process so that the uh, agency partner knows that when they're asking for stuff, it will get actioned on. It's really, really difficult for a technical PM from an agency to have to then manage like 10, 15, 20 stakeholders internally within the client because it distracts them from what they should be focusing on, which is making sure the project is getting delivered. Number two is define scope and deliverables. Impossible to deliver a project if you don't have a clear scope. Now, often when you go through vendor and agency selection, you have a high-level um, uh, proposal you sign off on, but then you go through a more detailed process of discovery, which takes high-level requirements, starts to refine them, starts to define exactly how they'll get delivered. It looks at um, known unknowns and explores those, resolves gaps in thinking, and takes a high-level definition of requirements into a properly functional statement of work. So at this point, you go from high-level scope into much more defined. You then need to ensure that this is communicated back to the business so that they understand exactly what's being delivered and why. And then you can align them with those areas so that they are thinking in line with what has to be delivered rather than going off and getting distracted on things that might be important and interesting to the business but aren't going to be um, provided by that project. That then leads into deliverables. If you have a clearly defined scope, you've got your deliverables so you can match back against and say, have we achieved this? Have we not? The third one is clear roles and responsibilities. Now, when you've got a small stakeholder set, it's far, far easier to nail this down. When you've got a bigger stakeholder set, and I'm working on a project at the moment that's got about uh, nine or ten internal stakeholders, and more stakeholders are getting added every couple of weeks because they're recruiting more and more people. Therefore, we have to be absolutely nailed down on our race to be clear on who's doing what and why, what their inputs are, Make sure people aren't duplicating effort and wasting time. Make sure people aren't contradicting each other and providing conflicting information into a project, which makes it really confusing. And this is where the, the project lead comes in as well, because the project lead can ensure that people stick to their roles and responsibilities and don't blur the lines. 
And this is really, really important when you've got a really tight time frame. So project I'm working on at the moment has an exceptionally tight delivery time frame. We do not have scope for messing around and sitting around in rooms having uh, you know fun conversations that contribute to, to getting the project delivered. So we have people have to be on point and focused. Uh, and therefore, setting those roles and responsibilities up front and having that documented in a very simple reference point. So people can come back to me, okay, what is it I'm doing again? So getting people aligned with what you want them to do is really, really important because then they come into meetings prepared and in the right mindset instead of coming to a meeting having not prepared. Fourth is kickoff workshop. So I don't rely on third parties to arrange kickoff workshops. They will lead things like discovery processes, requirements gathering. But for me as a project lead, it's critical that I get everybody working internally within the client team into a room and I set them you know, a clear expectation for what we're doing, what the project is, why we're doing it, how we're going to deliver it, how we're going to work, some of the key complexities to think about, what we need from them, the key timeframes and milestones, what their involvement will be. Then give them an open Q and A so that they can ask the questions and you know be clear about what it is they're doing and why. And if anything doesn't make sense, you can identify it up front. You nip that in the bud and make sure everyone starts a project on an even keel. Number five is clear and regular communications to key stakeholders. Great if you've got everyone lined up from the start. You've got a good project plan and you're already excited. But mistakes I've seen creep in is when people don't keep that going throughout the project. So they get caught up in the day-to-day -day busyness of you know building out requirements catalogs, um, you know, signing things off for developers to start sprint queues, reviewing UAT, etc. But forget that you need to keep people in the journey, you need to bring them along with you. So you need to keep people updated. You need to let them know what's happening when, where the progress is, how you are against project plan. You need to also be very, very clear on what you expect from them. What do they need to provide by when? What should they be focused on this week? Where are they getting behind and what impact will that have? That then leads into to one of the points later on I'll talk about, which is governance. Because if we know and we know what people should be doing and we're communicating to them and we've set clear expectations, then it's very easy to know where we've got gaps when people aren't delivering and then we can manage that as an exception. Another thing with regular communication is don't just rely on email. Have face-to-face, -face, speak to people, engage and make them feel part of the process. Number six uh, is sensible use of tools and info sharing. So clear and regular comms leads into this. Too many people rely on email. Now, some people still love email, bane of my life. It's so hard to keep on top of single threads of discussion within a huge amounts of email chain and with an inbox that's cluttered by things that are not related to the project I much prefer to separate our project comms from day-to-day -day, uh, communication to us. There are lots of tools some people use Asana, uh, development teams like to use Jira and use Ticketing that might work for pro the project management side but not so good normally for um, you know, business stakeholders trying to share knowledge and information. I've used Slack. Um, Slack if organised and structured really, really well, can be a massively effective tool because you can set out independent, sorry, separate channels for each of the key uh, work streams. So, for example, one of the projects I've got, I've got a channel for design, I've got a channel for project management, I've got a channel for um, uh, technical, channel for um, uh, product data, etc. And within each of those channels, we've got the right stakeholders mapped so that they are having the right conversations. Anything that then becomes 
an action or a decision or an issue gets pulled out of there into the project management um, process to act. So we don't lose sight of where communication in Slack has to drive an action or a follow-up. So make sure you've got the tools to find, make sure you have licenses, make sure people are invited, they're set up, they have access, and most importantly, that they are briefed on how to use it. There's nothing worse than being given a tool and being told, there you go, get on with it, and you've never used it before. Um, you don't have any clue how you go about using it, or you have used it before, but you don't know how this particular project wants you to use that tool and what you should be sharing and what information should and shouldn't go in there. So you've got to be absolutely prescriptive on this to make life as easy as possible for people. Number seven on my list is creating a raid log. Now, this is more traditional project management, but really important that the e-commerce team either drives this or make sure that there is a similar list from the technical PM. So RAID stands for Risks, Actions, Issues and Decisions. Now, you, when you get stuck into the heart of a project, it's amazing in the heat of battle just how much stuff goes out the window in terms of writing stuff down, being structured. And it's so hard to bring that back later on. If you allow two to three weeks of poor um, coordination and control seep into a project, it's an absolute bloody nightmare to then fix that. And often it then creates loads of compromise and inefficiency, which can hit project timelines. So getting this up front, capture when a risk is flagged in a meeting or somebody's flagged it by, by phone or by email, to find the risk, to find the potential impact, to find the severity, and then the follow-on action. What, who needs to act on this? Then with actions, anytime an action is, is defined, right, somebody needs to do X, you log it, you mark it down as uh, all new ones are open, you assign it, you put a deadline date on it, and you allow uh, comments and notes. So Excel's a great way of doing this. Google Sheets are really popular as well. And the great thing about that is you set a deadline. You can review each week all the ones which are at risk of missing deadline. When a action moves from open into in progress, you update the status. When it's complete, you update it. And then you've got a, a track log, and you can set a, put a completion date on there as well so you know when that's completed. Issues, any, anything that, that uh, could be a problem that needs uh, further investigation, same thing, assign somebody, and decisions. Got to have a decision log because not everybody who informs a decision is a decision maker and an authority to sign off. So being sure that you're clear what the decision is that's being made, who's made it and on what date, and then who is the owner who has to review and approve, and on what date they've approved it. Then you've got a proper audit log. If somebody turns around later on in the project to you and says, hey, I didn't approve that we uh, we would um, add that information to the My Account, then you have that trail and say, well, actually, no, we discussed that and it was agreed by you on X date, and here's a reference. You, know, you ref reference a ticket in JIRA or an email thread. Really good for just helping people to remember when and why things were done. Number eight is weekly review call with the project management team. So depending on, on the size and scale of project, you could have one or multiple project managers. In the project I'm working at the moment, Magento 2 project, we have three PMs. We've got myself acting as a client project manager. We've got the technical PM from the development agency and we've got a UX UI design PM from the design partner. Now, if you don't have a weekly call between the PM leads, you have chaos because you end up having one part of the project work into a different timeline than the other. Everything has to feed into the development timeline, but there are micro projects that spring out of it with micro timelines. So, weekly call with the PMs to review um, progress from last week, issues 
actions, decisions, key focus needed for this week, and that alignment. Any decision or, or issue detected in one part of the project, review the implication and impact on other parts and agree whether any um, additional um, action is required to rectify that. Really, really useful as well just to help do a kind of health check sanity uh, update with the other PMs, like how you find it, how you feeling? Do you feel like we're, we're making good progress? Anything you're really concerned about? Often it's a really good way to take a emotion um, out of projects and make people feel a bit more relaxed that you are aligned and things are going to plan, um, even if there are curveballs. I mean, it's inevitable as you go through a project like this. There will be some curveballs. There'll be a couple of weeks of um, you know twitchy starfish time where you think, oh, crisis feels out of control before you pull it back into control. So really nice to have other sounding boards to, to manage the, the stress at that level. It also works really well, leading to the next point, which is point nine, basic governance. So if you have a weekly PM calls, one of the key things is managing exceptions. So you're much quicker at um, identifying issues by having that weekly frame in that you can push into basic governance. And governance is all about putting control around things like decision making, managing change requests, escalation paths. So anything that's out of the, the ordinary, so um, we talked about decision making already. You need to have a clear process to decide who has the authority to make decisions and ensure that the right decisions are being made by the right people. Change requests is a really important one. I've not worked on any project where there isn't at some point a discussion about, oh, actually, no, we really want to do this. Or, yeah, I know we said we didn't want to integrate a new ASP, but we've decided we're going to change our email provider and we're now using... Mailer, whatever it might be. When you have a very clear statement of work, a clear scope and, and deliverables with a um, cost estimation and time frame built off the back of that, any change has to be evaluated in terms of impact to size and cost, complexity, timelines. So you have to have a governance process that defines how a change request is managed. What is a change request? Is it validated? So the last thing you want to do is put a um, a, a complete nonsense change because somebody somewhere said I want to do X but actually that's not approved by the business and they spend time and effort running around trying to estimate it to realise that the, uh, the project owner has turned around and said no, that's bollocks, I would never approve that so make sure you have the process for validating changes once they've been approved by the project um, owner and lead that there is a clear process for that going then through the development teams and any other relevant third parties to estimate it and assess impact Document that, that gets played back into the project for the project lead and owner to review and decide whether they approve the change. Does it become part of the scope and they accept the change implication or does it be pushed into backlog um, into subsequent phases after an initial launch? And the other part of governance is critical, is escalation paths. If the shit hits the fan, what do you do? You know, don't want people running around like headless chickens, screaming, shouting, getting angry with each other. You know, issues happen. Problems happen, sometimes disagreements happen, and they have to be unpicked. And you need to do it in a really professional and calm way. So, what is that process? Who has the final decision, which is typically the project owner? And how do you get it up to them? Um, how do they pass that decision back down and what time frame? And then how do you communicate it back out so that there is no ambiguity and people know why decisions have been made and there and when the decision is made, that's the end of the argument. We move on. So that's point nine, then we move on to the last but by no means least point number ten, which is team motivation and encouragement. If you follow all those nine points, 
you should hopefully de-risk your project and make it as smooth as possible, as smooth as possible when you're working with people and technology, both prone to failure. Um, but team motivation and encouragement, don't lose sight that these projects can be tiring and weary and sometimes people are going to be working late days and nights, even evenings at home or maybe sometimes on a weekend to get over the line when you start hitting those frantic last few weeks up to launch and massive amounts of UAT. You've got to keep people motivated. You've got to keep them with the, the, the view on the end point, which is success and delivering something amazing to the business. If you start feeling the energy is dropping off or if decisions have been made that some people don't like, you've got to find a way to get them positive, make them realise that, that their viewpoints count, but, but the reality is the project's got to be delivered and you can't deliver everything everybody wants. And encourage them. If, you know, make them, them realise that their input is valuable. Make them realise that they are, even if they don't perceive that they're helping, even if they just answered a couple of simple questions, thank them for it. Make them realise that that's helping you deliver the project. Give them a reason to, to, to give, a, give a shit about the project, basically. Because the last thing you want to do is get to the end, launch a site and go, ta-da, and people have lost interest because you didn't motivate them or they didn't think they were important enough or that what they said wasn't really listened to. So so important to manage that uh, uh, that kind of emotion through the project um, at an individual level, also as a team and group. And then you have your governance and escalation paths. If you feel that people aren't aligned, they're not motivated, and something needs to be done about it. So those are my ten key points. I'm sure uh, there'll be plenty of you who've gone through this process of managing replatforming projects for uh, e-commerce teams. Who could add to this? Maybe you'll challenge some of the points. That's great. I don't. I'm not going to sit here and think I've got the monopoly on the the best way to do projects. This is based on my experience. I'd love to hear from other people. If you've got different opinions or gaps you think I I should have plugged, feel free to reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. So thanks as always for listening in. Do stay peeled for next episodes um, as well. Um, Paul will be back for the next one got a couple of interesting third-party providers coming up. We'll announce those on the email quite soon. Um, and keep your eyes open on your feeders to see uh, what's coming through. Thanks very much. Have a good evening. Bye.